an adapted reading from Lamentations 3. God's loyal love never runs out. His merciful love never dries up. They're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I'm sticking with God. He's all I got left. God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It's a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're young to stick it out through the hard times, when life is heavy and hard to take. Go off by yourself, enter the silence, bow in prayer, don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. Don't, ruin, don't run from trouble, take it full face. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. If he works severely, he also works tenderly. His stockpiles of loyal love are immense. He takes no pleasure in making life hard and throwing roadblocks in the way. Jeremiah 18. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning the nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our third scripture reading this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah. I'll be reading from the 32nd chapter. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field that is in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel, 
and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Mansiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence I charged Baruch, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, in order that they may last for a long time. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. May the Lord add his richest blessing to these readings of his holy scripture. Amen. Amen. We continue our series out of the book of Jeremiah. We started last Sunday and we talked about how Jeremiah was just a young boy when God's word came upon him. One thing we didn't really cover, though, is what did it mean for Jeremiah to be a prophet? What is a prophet? I suppose uh, if we were to make a modern parallel, what might a prophet look like today? Asking that question, many of us would probably think, well, Jeremiah was like the preacher in the church. He stood up before the the people before a congregation, and he delivered God's word. Looking at Jeremiah, the work that he did, I would say, no, I, I don't think that quite captures what Jeremiah was up to. I would have to say Jeremiah, if anything, was more of an artist. As artists have mediums that they work in, so Joao and Aaron, they are both artists, they work in music. I see in Jeremiah there's two primary media that he worked in. The first one, I think Jeremiah would today be called a performance artist. Now, a lot of us may think, well, what is that? Performance art is something that developed in the, in the 20th century, and oftentimes it makes people edgy and uncomfortable. Uh, I heard about one... Uh, example, uh, I think it was about six or eight years ago, there was a woman, her name is Marina Abramovich, and she did this art installation, performance art installation. The artist is present. That was the title of the installation. And for three months, what Marina did is she went down to the Museum of Modern Art in New York City she sat in this big gallery on a chair and stared at people all day. And people would come up and they would stare back at her. I remember watching a documentary about it and some, some people were just completely moved to tears by this artistic display. And I saw on the faces of other people, they just didn't get it. What is this all about? 
Jeremiah did a lot of that kind of thing in his prophetic career. One time the Lord told Jeremiah, go down and buy yourself a clean pair of underwear, a loincloth. Jeremiah goes down, he buys himself some new underwear, and the Lord says, okay, take those tidy whities and take them out to the creek and bury them right there next to the creek. So Jeremiah does that, buries his underwear in the silt next to a creek. A few days later, yeah, I see the puzzled look. What's going on? A few days later, Jeremiah goes back, and he digs up his BVDs, and they are no longer fit for use. They are completely soiled and ruined. And everybody stands around looking at Jeremiah, asking, what does this mean? And Jeremiah says, this isn't about me. It's about all of you. Just as this underwear has been ruined, so all of you are ruined underwear. How's that? Interesting message. Another time, Jeremiah went, bought this perfectly good earthenware vessel, and stood in the midst of a great crowd and in front of the leaders of the people of Judah, and he took it and he broke it on the ground. And everybody asked Jeremiah, what, what was that about? And Jeremiah says, you are the earthen vessel. You are cracked and broken. That's what this is about. Another time, Jeremiah took an animal yoke, put it upon his shoulders, paraded around in front of all the people of Judah. You can just ima imagine where this is going. Jeremiah, what's this about? This is about all of you. You are going to have a yoke of slavery on your shoulders if you don't repent and turn back to God. Jeremiah remained unmarried, celibate, childless his whole life. Again, that was symbolic as well. Symbolic that the children of Judah had no future. So he refused to reproduce. Performance art, that was one of Jeremiah's specialty. The other thing, of course, Jeremiah was a poet. He used words. He wrote poetry. God's word was a fire in his bones. God's word was an inspiration for the words that poured forth from his mouth. In my life, every now and then, I've kind of dabbled in poetry. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You just get some kind of inspiration, some image comes to mind. I see Anne out there. Yep, I've been there. And you just have to write it down. I remember my first serious poem. I say it was serious because it wasn't like a, a poem to my mom for Mother's Day that was an assignment in school. It was one that came from inspiration inside. I was about 18 years old, and I just had this fire in my bones, and I had to write it down because I had a girlfriend, and I really liked her, and she inspired me to poetry. Do you want to hear that poem this morning? Uh, I can't remember much of it, actually. I remember I had this this great image that I worked in it, though, it was, it was that God had sent this warm wind into our lives. 
And God's warm wind dried up her tears and melted my icy cold heart. Isn't that sweet? That is just the best. And I remember the last line. Here's how the poem ended. To love. That was it. <laughs> to love. Isn't that great? It's just the words poured forth. Inspiration. I tell you all that because I really wish Jeremiah had had a girlfriend like I had a girlfriend. I've seen sometimes teenagers get into this kind of dark poetry phase. I don't know if, if you've seen this with your kids or maybe even in yourself. And you just, you start writing this really dark poetry, dark images. That's that's what consumed much of Je Jeremiah's poetic career. Dark stuff, destruction, repent, turn back. If you don't, God is going to destroy. I want to remind us this morning, that world that Jeremiah was born into was a bad place. It was really bad. It wasn't just that the people of Judah were backsliding a little bit. Remember when I talked about the temple last week, the temple itself, supposedly the holiest place in all the earth, was filled with pagan worship. Prostitution was actively being bought and sold in the temple itself. Remember, just outside the temple in the valley of Hinnon, it was full of pagan worship. There was the worship of the god um, Molech as well. Remember, parents sacrificed their own children to the god Molech. This was bad. Jeremiah looks around at what's happening this dark poetry pouring forth from him. And you get the sense that Jeremiah asked, what is God going to do to fix this situation? We did get one of the favorite scriptures out of Jeremiah. There's a few scriptures that Christian preachers like going to. Jeremiah is told by God to go down to the potter's house place where pots are being thrown upon turntables. Jeremiah goes down there and, and he watches what's, what's going on and preachers often take this text and, and they say, you know, it's, it's like God at work in our lives. We're born and we're kind of formless lumps and God's hands begin lovingly working that vessel out. Doesn't always feel good when God kind of squeezes in on our sides, but just know that in the end, the vessel is going to be beautiful and pleasing to the Creator. And that's a great reading of that text. But that's not what Jeremiah wanted to express. Jeremiah wanted us to hear that as he saw that potter working that vessel, he saw that potter take his hand and crush that vessel back down because it was misshapen. Jeremiah tells the people of Judah, that's what God is going to do with all of us as well. 
reduce us back down to a formless lump. It comes to a point where things are so bad. Chapter 11. God even tells Jeremiah, stop praying for the people. I'm not going to listen to the prayers anymore. I'm, I'm done. It's over. I'm not going to listen. And all of this comes to a head in the year 587 B.C. That's when King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the great empire that was then expanding throughout the ancient Near East, King Nebuchadnezzar sets up siege to the city of Jerusalem. The reality finally sets in. Jeremiah has been prophesying about this for decade upon decade upon decade. Destruction is headed our way. In 587, the people realize Jeremiah was right all along. What would you expect Jeremiah to do at that point? He's been telling the same story for year over year over year. You would think he'd spike the football. I mean... This was going to be more one-sided than that LSU game last night. The Babylonians were coming in. Judeans, Jerusalem, they didn't have a chance here. You'd think Jeremiah would have said, you had it coming. Or maybe like an original slam poet, Jeremiah would hold up a microphone and drop it and say, I'm out of here, done. Told you what's going to happen, it's happened. I'm leaving the building. This is where Jeremiah gets really interesting again. Jeremiah's cousin, Hanamel, approaches him about buying a piece of land. I imagine Jeremiah was offered a pretty good price on it. Hanamel would have been pretty motivated because right at the time he wants to sell this piece of land to Jeremiah, the Babylonians are laying siege to the capital city. I think back in 2006, I made a really disastrous financial decision. Bought a house in Rockville, Maryland. 2008 happened. Everybody remember that? The great economic meltdown. That house that I bought in 2006 went down in value by about $50,000 almost overnight. Now, if I could go back in time, and I knew 2006, that just 2000, uh, two, two years later, that uh, value would decline by that much, you can be sure I wouldn't have bought that house, or I would have bought it for a much discounted price, knowing what was about to happen. Jeremiah, he knows what is about to happen. He knows the Babylonians are going to destroy Jerusalem. He knows the Babylonians are going to lay waste to the countryside. He knows that most of the people of the land of Judah are going to be exported off into exile in Babylon. He knows that land purchase is worthless. Nobody's going to buy that land from him in his lifetime. He's throwing his money away. But God tells Jeremiah, 
you go ahead and make that purchase. Don't make the purchase privately. Make it very public. Do it in front of everybody. When you're all finished, make sure you don't just stuff the papers in your back pocket. Put it in an earthenware jar and hide that earthenware jar somewhere where it can last a long time. Because God's going to do a new thing. One day, descendants of these people will return. One day, that field that you're buying, it will be bought and sold. Vineyards will be grown upon it. Farms will be built. Families will live there. Life will return. Imagine it's December 9th, 1941. Japanese have just attacked Pearl Harbor. FDR stands up in front of Congress and says, hey, better days are ahead. It's all going to be okay. People would have melted down. What are you talking about? We were just attacked. But in the middle of the siege of Jerusalem, Jeremiah stands up and he said, God is not finished with this. You haven't seen the end yet. Something better is on its way. A lot of people would probably ask Jeremiah, okay, what, what's the deal? You've been talking about destruction for decade upon decade, and now you switch to hope. Do you just like stirring up drama? Is it just your artistic side? You just want to do this kind of stuff? What's going on? Here is where we get back to one of those fundamental messages we see in the book of Jeremiah. Yes, God is a holy God. Yes, God will not be mocked or disregarded. But fundamentally, fundamentally, God is a God who is faithful to the promises that He has made. Jeremiah chapter 31, God says, The people who survive the sword, the people who go through the destruction, they will find grace in the wilderness. To these people going through this terrible destruction, God says, I still have loved you with an everlasting love. I have continued my faithfulness to you. God is not turning His back on His people at all. He's giving them the opportunity to renew their promise that He is still keeping to them. I find this incredible in the prophet Jeremiah. We heard as well from the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is credited to the prophet Jeremiah. The book of Lamentations, if you want to talk about a dark book, sad destruction, Lamentations is full of it because it's written right in the middle and just after the destruction of Jerusalem. The whole book, it's a lament. It's a book of loss. A book of sorrow. And in the middle of all that, Jeremiah cries out and says, 
but the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I heard a story about an older gentleman who was taking his first plane ride. He had never been near any aircraft at all, and he was a little nervous about the whole situation. But he got on the airplane, and he took that ride. And when he arrived at his destination, his friends greeted him, and they immediately asked him, well, well, how was the flight? How did it go? Did you like flying? The old man said, well, wasn't as bad as I thought, but I'll tell you this much, I never did put my full weight down in the airplane. Held his backside out of the seat just a little bit. So, Jeremiah knew he was in the palm of God's hand. Whatever happens, in our lives, can we have that same trust? Sometimes we like to hold ourselves up just a little bit. We can't entrust our full weight into God's hand. No, we. We are always in the palm of God's hand. We have to learn to trust that God will lead us through. Jeremiah knew that. But what's more, this is the classic story of faith. This is the faith of Abraham who set out for an unknown land in search of God's promises. And it was over 25 years before he ever saw them fulfilled. This is the story of Jacob, who is the one, the trickster, who went into exile for his treacherous ways. But when he came back from exile, he was a changed man. He had encountered God out there. This is the story of the faith of Joseph, sent into slavery in Egypt, and learned to trust God through the ups and downs of life. This is the story of the faith of Jesus, our Savior. The one who trusted God through those 40 days in the wilderness when he was tempted. The one who trusted God, offering himself up for crucifixion and death. Finding the final victory in resurrection. This is the faith we all have. When we trust that God is there. Even in the darkest and most difficult moments in our lives. My daughter had a birthday this past week. She got a lot of cool gifts. One of the gifts that she really likes is this necklace. It's a Harry Potter necklace. It has a, a little charm hanging off the end of it that's supposed to be Harry Potter's wand. The problem with it, though, is that the necklace that it's hanging on, it is cheap, cheap, cheap. I don't think she had that thing around her neck for more than 10 minutes before the thing broke. And parents, you all know this, brand new toy, 10 minutes in, it breaks what happens. Break down. Oh, the world's coming to an end. My favorite toy, it broke. What am I going to do? 
And we've, we've been here any number of times. My daughter breaks things. She knows I'm good with my hands. If it can be fixed, I can fix it. So I get down there and I say, honey, who's your dad? You're my dad. You know I'm good at fixing things, right? Yeah, I know that. Do you think I can fix this little necklace? Yeah, yeah I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> I fixed it. And of course, two days later, she's playing with a friend and it breaks again. And it's the same thing all over again. The tears come. Oh, it's broken. I say, honey, we've been here before. You know what I can do. Are you really that worried that we can't get this back? I reflect on my own life. Something breaks in my life. And I look up to God and I say, God, it's broken. What are we going to do? I'm the only person who has ever had this happen to them. And I can feel God looking down at me and saying, I've been around for a few thousand years. You're not the only one who's suffered through this. It's not that God is going to fix everything. But I can trust God is faithful. He's brought me through plenty in the past. He's seen it all before. His hand is still at work. He's not left us alone. This we can trust above all. The arc of history bends toward God's faithfulness. Jeremiah told us so. Jesus has told us so, the apostles, the preachers, the prophets. In the end, God is faithful to the promises that He has made to you. On that, you can trust. Amen?